2: You have found the 22 November Network, the voice of the grassroots JFK research community. This is the Lone Gunman Podcast with your host, your boy, Rob Cross. The Lone Gunman Contest.
1: What up? B-Boys are in the cut. What you, what you, what you you want. We are getting hyped tonight. Wow. I'm here with Doug Campbell. As you might have noticed from the Dallas action. Oh, yeah. Tonight, man... My ass is woe out. And this is, uh... uh, uh Let's This
2: is, uh... The,
3: the first day was a, what? We're looking at a... The first day for me was about a 23-hour day. Yesterday was, what? An 18-hour day. Yeah. And we're pushing 17 hours today.
1: Yes. Might fall asleep at the wheel. If we go out, you'll know why.
3: Eventually, the time... <laughs> On, on the podcast will will quit. So if you want to listen to a couple guys snore for like twenty minutes, do your thing. Yeah. Whatever whatever tickles your f- fancy. I'm sorry. Yeah. Most mad.
1: Hey, this is a PG rated podcast. This is the load
3: gun and there's nothing PG about this podcast. That's horseshit. What was what was the uh, the quote when when you couldn't get your uh, MP three thing to work that day when you couldn't get the you were gonna play the thing and it wouldn't work you, you
1: I can't remember R rated quote my memory is not good It started with a G yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> goddamn piece of shit won't fucking work that's what <laughs> is that said. what I said yeah uh, yeah that sounds about right. Anyway, welcome to the Lundgumman Podcast. This is your boy, Rob Clark. That's him. Alongside my boy, Doug Campbell. Yes, that's your Doug Dougzilla Q. in the house. That's right. And what I figured we'd do tonight, and I thoroughly enjoyed having David Dennis on. Great guy. Awesome guy. Very generous with his time. Dropping knowledge on the JFK research community. Uh, today, I figured we'd uh, recap a couple speakers that we saw. Uh, started on this the other night, and uh, we're going to get through some more today. Check out the 22 November Network. WordPress.com site uh, for more photos and blogs. Uh, Gail Nix Jackson recently uploaded one called Divorcing the Warren Commission. That's right. And Great column,
3: by the way. Great
1: column. I loaded up one just, uh, you know. Just a little sample of what we're experiencing here.
3: Like 11, 12 hours ago? Yeah. Right after lunch? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh, our beautiful view of the Potomac River right outside our window. Uh, we're going to start today with a man who uh, stayed silent many, many years in relation to what to what he knew and his experiences Uh, Surrounding the JFK assassination. And his name is James Wagonvoord. Of Time Life Magazine.
3: What an amazing, amazing story. I mean, that, the guy was there, man. I mean, he he took, he like, Dennis David took possession of John Kennedy's body.
1: Yeah. This guy was involved in taking possession of the Zapruder film. Boom. And he was there when Orville Nix walked in and they told him to pound sand. Pretty much. And just his story astounded me, and I heard it before he made his presentation in the hallway of all things. Um, but what he was telling us, he showed us the cover of a uh, Time magazine uh, that came out on 11,2263, and it had uh, Bobby Baker on the front of it, and they were exposing the Bobby Baker scandal. Right on the front page mm-hmm. came out that very day. That yep, it sure did. And people that think LBJ did it like to point to that. That LBJ was gonna go down. Yep. And go down hard. And he was. Their next cover was gonna have LBJ on the cover saying, you know, basically this guy is screwed. Well, well now, didn't
3: I I, I heard from a, I've read somewhere else that wasn't Robert Kennedy supposedly sort of funneling that information to life, allegedly.
1: Allegedly. Yeah. And uh, there are some
3: people down there in that room that would go, Ha, what do you mean, allegedly? (laughs) You know what (laughs) I mean? Oh, (laughs) wow, man. Guys, if you... i interrupt Rob on his own show like a complete prick. (laughs) Go ahead, my friend. Um, If you are not of the Lyndon Johnson as mastermind school of thought as I am not of the Lyndon Johnson there were some things here at this conference um quite frankly that will make you want to throw stuff and look I'm not trying to disrespect anybody but rob I heard a lot about what a complete evil insane criminally insane, psychopath, sociopath, um, homeopath (laughs) that that Lyndon Johnson was.
1: Womanizing, Womanizing. donkey (laughs) dick-having, bastard. That's too much information. Oh, sorry. Well, it was presented. Yeah. We are covering the conference, and it was said...
3: That he was hung like a bay mule. That's a quote, right? Yes, yes. That's that's about right. (laughs) Like a well rope.
1: Yes, he was destroying things. (laughs) But anyway, back to (laughs) James Wagonford. If you ever hear this, we apologize. Um, We ain't right. But
3: no, you know, and and back to my point, but some of this stuff, I heard a quote. Now, uh, this, 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 and you heard it too. Will show you to what extremes people will go to to prove their point. A guy stood up and told us that in his mind, Lyndon Johnson is second only to Adolf Hitler. Now let or that worse. sink in a minute. Or worse, <laughs> he said. Uh, he said Hitler killed six million Jews. Belinda Johnson killed 20 million Laotians and Vietnamese.
1: Not to mention all the Americans that
3: died. No, he in the didn't.
1: War. Well, no, he didn't.
3: Yeah, he sent them there, but he was made to. Yeah. The people that killed 20 million Southeast Asians, they were all they all had salad on their hats, baby.
1: The generals got their war.
3: The generals the JFK got wouldn't their, give them. Uh
1: coincidence? I think not. I think not. Thank you, sir. Pray continue. All right. Back to Mr. Wagonboard. And he's never spoken publicly about this until this weekend. Um, The reasoning, and I was telling you about the LBJ cover that they had coming and the stories they had coming that were just going to bury Lyndon Johnson. They were pulled within two days of the assassination. They said they had to scrap that next issue. uh, and the reasoning was for that was that they couldn't kill or, two presidents in 2 days. <laughs> no. You have one die, Lyndon becomes president and they could have assassinated him with their stories. He would have he would have been finished. It would have be, been gone. And we would have had the secretary of state as president cuz he would have been ousted. Yep. Yeah. Impeached. You know, hauled off in handcuffs out of the Oval Office for what what they were about to expose. And uh,
3: Actually, I think that's Speaker of the House.
1: Uh, however it goes.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't of I, I, sure. I slept sorry. through
1: history class, you know. Man, um, I slept
3: through 11th grade.
1: And what we learned is that uh, they sold copies uh, all around the world to, I think, five or six different news organizations, uh, totaling... And he was involved in brokering these deals, totaling almost a hundred thousand dollars, which back in nineteen sixty-three was a hell of a lot of money. I mean, you are talking relative of probably ten million dollars in today's type of money. And of course, we know that the was only given what twenty-five thousand dollars for the for his copy, so they made yeah. enough. And he said he said that he put the kibosh on selling any more copies because that was enough blood money. You know, they'd, they'd made their money back that they gave Supruder and then some, and that yep. was enough.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay? Um, Do you think... I'm sorry. That was life's
3: reasoning, right?
1: Yes. Um, that was James Vaginvoort's reasoning. Enough blood money. Enough blood money. Yeah. You know? They'd made their... they It was just enough. He... They had to make the deal. Okay? They had, yeah. I mean... Who wouldn't want their hands on that film? I would. And who knows who's really behind Time Live Magazine, CIA? Um, <laughs> uh, Mockingbird. <coughs> Henry Boothloose. Loose. Um, Alan Dulles. Ben yes.
3: Bradley. Yes. The Washington Post.
1: And he also told us uh, about another very odd occurrence.
3: Oh, this is... Are you talking about the story... That I think you're about to tell I don't know The closet
1: No not yet Okay
3: you do that Not yet I'm
1: talking about another one Okay go He said he was getting ready To get in the elevator In the Time Life building When a man approached him With an envelope And said Here you go sir And he said "Uh, What is this And the guy said It's a film And he said Of of what And uh, the man told him It's uh, a film of Lee Harvey Oswald And he was like, okay. And uh, he said the guy flashed a badge at him. FBI guy. It was a film of Oswald handing out leaflets in uh, New Orleans. Yeah. That's how they got the stills to put in Life Magazine. Mm Mm-hmm. Supplied by our government. Two days after the assassination. Two days. Okay. Two
3: Okay, I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it on Rob Show. <laughs> Stop and let that sink in. James Vagenford was in the lobby of Time Life. A man comes
1: up to him. On Sunday morning after the assassination, two days. This was before Lee Oswald was dead. Before he was even dead. And gave
3: him the film. For free. For free. Here you go. Supplied by our government. Before Lee Oswald was dead. Yes. And by the time the magazine was actually published... He was dead. He was dead.
1: Dead. Wow. Now, this was a news film. Okay, it was, you know, filmed by a news crew in New Orleans. Right. And broadcast on TV down there. But this was back in August... Of yeah, 1963, yeah. yeah, but two days after the assassination, you got an FBI agent in New York handing Mr. Wagonford an envelope. Here you go,
3: and it wasn't even
1: they had already put two and two plus three plus three times four together. But
3: but it wasn't Mr. Wagonford here. We would like uh, here's some Oswald to use in your magazine. It was just hey, this is a film of Oswald, and the dude turned and bolted. Yeah. No explanation why we're bringing it to you. No, nope, here you go. No explanation where they got it. It was, it was almost like, it, like the guy, I don't know. Like, yeah. Uh,
1: uh, now check this out. This is gonna blow your mind. A couple weeks later, and we've all seen the images of the backyard photograph on the cover of Life magazine, right? Yes. I mean, it's it's a classic picture. <clears throat> Well, he told, he tells a story of going down to the mock-up room, which is where they create the covers. Uh, you know that you know these. I guess they're photo editors or layout yeah. professionals. They, they they get the uh, cover they, together, do the lettering. Format it? Yeah, yeah, formatted. The fonts
3: yeah. where they want. Yes, yeah. they what? set it
1: all up. Well, he goes down there and he basically said that, a you know, the Time Life uh, stance on everything was that they never retouched photos. They, right. never, they never messed with the photos that they, had, that they published he denied that and said they did it all the time and he went down and he saw the Lee Harvey Oswald time life cover and they had messed with the rifle in that backyard photograph that they had masked it or, or matted it and the reasoning is because it wasn't the same rifle that they pulled out of the Texas School Buck Depository. Okay, so the sight was retouched on the rifle. Um, and I Probably
3: believe, the sling, too. Yeah. Side, sideways, you know, on yeah, the bottom, they, sideways. They must it hard, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so fast forward about ten years, give or take a few, uh, when Geraldo Rivera was... Having Robert Groden on to show the Zapruder film on national television for the first time. Well, Mr. Wagenborg was in contact with the uh, the producer because he had taken with him when he left Time Life a extant copy of the Zapruder film. Oh
3: God, this is this is a first generation
1: yes copy
3: extant copy. And he also had first generation copy. Of the Knicks film. Of the Knicks film.
1: And... And... You know what he took with him? what did he take with him, Rob? That faked-ass mock-up of the front-page backyard photograph. That's exactly right. Oh, this this story... Guys, sit down. This is awesome. Okay. He's on the phone with Gerardo Rivera's producer, and they go back and forth for like three days. And um, it's, it's already been said, you know, that... Geraldo is going to show it on national television. Right. The word's already out. Three days later, he goes home to his apartment in New York where he had put all of his belongings, the the, the Zapruder film, the Knicks yeah. film, everything JFK-related he had. He said he kept all these photographs and of Oswald, JFK, any any picture like that related that was in that magazine. He took copies or took originals with him. had in a cardboard carton. A cardboard
3: box in the top of a linen closet, behind a bunch of pillows, behind a bunch of sheets. Yeah,
1: buried. Buried. He came home. Knew something was just not right about things.
3: Immediately, he sensed it. And the first thing the guy did, he's a smart guy, it clicked. Something went off in his gut. Wait a minute, what have I been talking about? Mm-hmm. For three days, with this producer for Geraldo. And the first thing he did was go check the top shelf of that linen closet. And what did he find, Rob?
1: Surprise, surprise, it's gone. Was uh, there
3: anything else disturbed or gone in his nope, home?
1: Not disturbed or gone or rifled through or nothing. Touched. They knew where it was. Or they were damn good at finding it and putting yeah. shit back. You know? So and he never
3: saw it again. And the only co- and the contact he had had
1: was with the producer. Of the Geraldo show. Of the Geraldo show. Which uh, tells me they were tapping the shit out of the Geraldo show's phones. Because they knew that, because the word was already out. Yeah. Or they got word from the media. that CIA, hey, hey, Operation said, Mockingbird. This guy says he has an original copy from Time Life magazine. <laughs> yep. Well, hello, sir. You don't need that anymore, do you? We'll just relieve you of that.
3: I, and I'll tell you another thing about that about Mr. Vagenford's presentation that blew me away. And that is when Doug Horn got up and asked his question. Doug Horn got up and asked, he was the first one to ask a question. He asked Mr. Vagenford, did you did you notice anything different now between what we know as the Zapruder film and what you saw and, Boggin Ford said, as far as the shot sequence goes, as far as the murder itself, he, he said he couldn't really, there's nothing that came to mind. But he remembered watching every single car turn that corner.
1: There was no splice when they turned the corner.
3: No, because in the Zapruder film, you see the motorcycles, you see this, and then suddenly Boom. It, it's like it jumps forward a couple of frames, forward. and suddenly the cars are there. Mr. Bogginforce says he saw every car come around that
1: corner. He saw the limo turn the corner.
3: All of them, all the cars. You can see every one yeah. of them. Now, if there's a frame or two, three, four removed, you know why those frames are removed. They're aimed at county records. At that point, that camera's aimed at county records and dial text. Okay? There's something in those frames that had to disappear. Yeah. Just like the alleged alteration of the Zapruder film in the headshot sequence. Mm-hmm. There's things there that had to be hidden. There's something in those frames where that
1: splice was that had to go away. That's right. And just to double back real quick, um, he also told of a secret meeting at the Del Charo Hotel. And this was uh, Henry Booth Luce, who was the, the owner of Time Life, J. Edgar Hoover, Bobby Kennedy, and LBJ, all in the same room. Now, what the hell they were talking about? I don't know. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That's a mind blower. Now,
3: do we have any? And I'm not doubting Mr. Vogel for it, but I'm I'm being, I'm 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 doing what I always do. It's break it down more, break it down more. Um,
1: well, the story came what? straight from Henry Booth Loose.
3: But, hey, we moved loose, told the story. Guys, I was up here preparing for the Dallas action yesterday. I actually missed this presentation. I'm learning a lot of this from Rob now. I did see some of it. Toward the end, um, when he was talking about the cardboard carton, or, um, and, you know, and... and um,
1: Possibly but, how they were going to proceed and how the media was going to deal with the death of a president, a new president, and how... They were going to tell the story, you know, what they could print, what they couldn't print, how how the story, the narrative was supposed to be. That would, that, but see, that, because Bobby could, Kennedy, right? They couldn't say, oh, anti-communist defector shoots the president. That, that, they couldn't put that on their cover, okay? Right. You know, they had to create a narrative for the assassination.
3: Right. Now, but see, here's the problem with that. You said Bobby Kennedy. Yeah, doesn't that make kind of make Bobby Kennedy complicit in the cover up of his murders of his brother's murder?
1: Or they wanted to include him to be sure that they didn't offend the Kennedy family, and how to proceed, you know, with certain things and how to present certain things. But they're presenting
3: the lone nut,
1: right? But at I'm, that
3: time, maybe at that point, Kennedy uh, RFK was on board with the lone nut. I, I'm just trying to, or sort maybe of,
1: they were saying, look, <coughs> you know we. We paid a lot of money for this film, and we're going to print frames of this. You know, your brother's assassination, the kill shot, is going to be in this magazine. You know, and there's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) But, you know, maybe so. Because we know J. Edgar and Bobby had no love lost for each other. Oh, no. We know LBJ and Bobby had no love lost for each other.
3: You know what, um... (laughs) I, I actually heard uh, somebody somewhere said that RFK called the uh, Hoover. He always referred to him as that old queen.
1: <laughs> I think that was in Madam Hoover? Yeah, I yeah. think that was
3: in Cy Hirsch's book, which don't read Dark Side of Camelot. Oh, my God. It's nothing but a slanderous CIA mockingbird hit piece, Life Magazine Bunch of bullshit on the Kennedys. It is trash. I'm sorry, Rob. In the I,
1: category of Marina and Lee, you know, books like that. That's blatant CIA Mockingbird bullshit.
3: Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, Priscilla Johnson.
1: Yeah.
3: Oh my God, the girl that called Robert Webster a good-looking six-footer in one. Uh, <laughs> you know, the defectors Yeah. But in the next one, a nice-looking six-footer was Oswald. You know. Yeah. Neither damn one of them were six foot.
1: Yeah. But the, anyway, that was uh, basically a little summary of what of what we learned from James Wagonford, who, by the way, another very very nice guy who we were lucky to see. Oh wow! Who brought his story out for the first time here this weekend? Yeah. All right. Next up, we're going to talk a little bit about the presentation uh, from Casey Quinlan and Brian Edwards. Wow! That they did together, that which was, was awesome.
3: Awesome. And guys, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this. But we're going to have those guys on the Dallas Action.
1: Tomorrow.
3: Tomorrow. And they're going to give you way more detail and some awesome stuff that we can't give you here. But go ahead, Rob. And those
1: guys are dead cool. We had lunch with them today. Yes, we did. And, you know, the stories, man. The stories. These guys are full of stories. They've been at this for 40 years. We
3: are absolute lightweights compared to these people, man. They're, They're... I mean, they've been in there. Uh, 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 Quinlan has won Educator of the Year three times from Lancer for his efforts to educate the public on the details of the assassination of John Kennedy. Heavy hitting guys. And uh, I, I have not met one, one person from
1: Greg Burnham to Doug Horn to Judy Baker. Yeah. And what blows my mind is these two guys, I had never heard of them before this weekend.
3: I had never heard of them either.
1: i, I had not familiar with their work, never heard of them in my life. I'm but like, it's brilliant that? work. Who are these guys? And the first guy up the other day was Brian Edwards. Mm-hmm. We talked about his presentation on my show. Yeah, mind-blowing, right?
3: The the, the <laughs> things that you just... The yeah. Warren Commission is so full of shit. <gasps> Dude, I thought of another Warren Commission full of shit thing. What? Check this out. All right. Oh, excuse me. Don't tip Uh, my sweet tea. Man, I almost tipped mine too. That would have been
1: (laughs) tearable. That would have been (laughs) tearable. I'm drinking tear. That was a dumb joke. Never mind.
3: Um, The Warren Commission published the United States Army military service records of Jack Ruby.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
3: Of Jack Ruby. Yeah, who joined the army in
1: 1941.
3: Yeah. Right. The problem with that is Jacob L. Rubenstein didn't change his name to Jack Ruby until 1947. Oops. So whose records are these? (laughs) Uh, Are we to believe that Ruby was such a model citizen? And see... They, well, it was that. It's not. Excuse me. It's not military records. It's his selective service records. Okay, the draft board. When he signed up for selective service, Jack Ruby, Jack L. Ruby. So like we're you're to believe
1: those when you get out, huh? Like you're supposed to when you get out,
3: right? Yeah. So, but we're to believe that when he changed his name on his driver's license in Texas later that he was such a model citizen that he picked up the phone and called the Illinois draft board and said hey I just want you guys to know that I've changed my name are you freaking kidding me? Whose records are those
1: Rob? I don't know that's another good question Wow. but back to Casey Quinlan and Brian Edwards and their presentation on Ed Hoffman who some of you may know and some of you may not be familiar with um he was a deaf mute which means he can't talk and he can't hear anything um and he saw the assassination from a very unique vantage point yep which was actually behind the triple underpass like he was he was on the the basically at the top where the one ramp comes up to get onto uh, the Stemmons freeway yep mm-hmm. and kind of right there on the you know, he was right on the curve.
2: Yeah.
1: And he could see uh, the triple underpass. He could see people on top of the triple overpass. And he could see into the rail yard. And he could see behind the picket fence. Right. On the grassy knoll. Perfect
3: view. was just like this. Yeah. He, I mean, I, and I, I'm gesturing off down into my left. You know, yeah. Not back into the left, but down into the <laughs> left. And he could see, you know, the fence.
1: Yeah. Now, they said he was. Two hundred and thirty-five yards away, from from sight line on the grassy knoll, but as you know, when you are deaf and you are mute, your other senses overcompensate for what you can't see. He, now, he didn't have them then.
3: I'm not. I'm not doubting Mr. Hoffman's story at all. Well, no, because if you think about a golf course. No, I can believe that, 235 yards away. And that's the away.
1: analogy they use. If you're right. on a golf course, you can see somebody standing 235 yards away. Oh, yeah. You can I even mean, see what color clothes they're wearing.
3: If if the fairway, if it's a par four, yeah. and you're like, you know, 340, you know, you can see, you can see the people down on the green. Yeah, and, and there be, was
1: nothing in his way to obscure it.
3: You better be able to. You're going to hit somebody in the head. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Now, you can't see details, you know, but. no. You can see what's going on. You can see what's going on, and his eyesight might have been better than the average person because he had to compensate for his other senses that didn't work. Exactly. But, you know, you can look
3: 350 yards down the range and see a guy pick up the pin flag and stick back in.
1: Yeah, you can see what they're doing. Okay? And that was what they were trying to uh, relate to us. And now Ed Hoffman, he worked at uh, Texas Instruments. In fact, he was supposed to be at work that day. Yep. But he had a dentist appointment. And I can't remember where he was coming from or where he was going. But it wasn't Dallas. But it was on the way. Yeah. And he saw all these cars parked. And he didn't even know Kennedy was going to be there. I can't remember. Um, but anyway, he stopped and parked his car and got out and walked up to where he could get a vantage point. And he had a, he had a clear view of the triple overpass. Like I said, a clear view of the uh, the area behind the the grassy knoll. Very, very good view. He could see the limo turning on the elm. Now he couldn't see it when it when the shots rang out because the the triple overpass was blocking his view. Yep. When the shots rang out, but he saw something else, and Casey and Brian did a great job of illustrating how or illustrating what. Hoffman was seeing take place, there was a man, he called him Dark Suit Man. Yep, Dark Suit Man. According to him, was the shooter. Yeah. Yeah. He was further down the fence line on the grassy knoll. And there was also the Railroad Man, was what he called him. He was dressed like a railroad worker. And... The people that were on the triple overpass couldn't see him because he was standing behind a six foot seven switchbox. Okay? So the railroad man was hidden from view from the people on the triple overpass. And there was behind the switchbox. Behind the switchbox. And there was a lot of cops up there on the triple overpass, but they couldn't see this guy. Now, separating the area of where the railroad man was standing and, it, and where Dark Suit Man was behind the fence, there is a steam pipe, a four-foot-high steam pipe that ran from, what building was it over there? The annex building?
3: I'm not sure. sure. I'm not sure.
1: Anyway, it, it ran, it was above-ground pipe, mm-hmm. and it ran over and across the top of the triple overpass and it was four foot above ground, you know, it was up on supports. So he said he saw a railroad man and dark suit man. Dark suit man was pacing back and forth, um, walking around a lot, and occasionally they would walk over and meet each other at this steam pipe, but they couldn't go any further because this thing was four foot high. I mean, they would have had to climb over it. Yeah. You know, so they would meet up, talk. He would see him gesturing. And then Dark Suit Man would go back down the fence. And uh, of course, this is all before, you know, JFK turned the corner. Um, what he saw next, uh, a puff of smoke is what he said he saw mm-hmm. coming from the grassy knoll. And... and like Doug just said off the record, the puff of smoke thing bothers him. And it bothers me too because I don't think they were shooting black powder rifles. <laughs> Thank there.
3: you very much. Can I get a fist bump? Boom. Story about, eh, man, I don't know, sometime late last year. My son wanted to fire an M1 Grand. And his great uncle's got one. So we go, we go down to uh, Uncle Bird's place, we got him set up on the bench with the sandbags. Bang. Bang, bang, bang. There was no smoke. Right. Four shots. I'm standing right next to the rifle. There was no smoke. If you know guns,
1: you know there's no smoke. No. What What? What did he see? Well, he saw a red shirt man mm-hmm. come up and talk to dark suit man and he said the guy had on basically a red checkered long sleeve shirt Mm -hmm. and if you look at the uh i think it's the mary mormon photo or is it the much more anyway you can see three guys lined up on the steps Mm -hmm. that come down from the grassy knoll and one of them is wearing a red shirt yeah i think it was the much more because that was in color um and could be the same guy now there was uh, the parking lot behind the grassy knoll. That's where the sheriff deputies would park. Yep. Okay. For the yep. for the county courthouse. And
3: do you know who owned the lease on that lot for a while? Who, Mr. Roscoe White?
1: Well, there you go, Mr. Roscoe White.
3: Nah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying he didn't own the lease. I just don't. You know. Anyone. Now what?
1: Now what? Ed said he saw in this parking lot. Okay. He said he saw a Rambler station wagon pull up to the access gate off of Elm Street, mm-hmm. where it dead ends. At, there's the railroad yard. He opened up the gate and drove the Rambler in to the parking lot. That means he had access. That means he had a key to the lock on the gate. Okay. Mm-hmm. Driving this Rambler station wagon. He said it was a brand new looking, probably 62 green uh, Nash Rambler station wagon. It was a 62, right? That's what he said, because his friend had one just like it. Okay. Um, now, what he said this Rambler station wagon did was drive around the perimeter of the parking lot and parked over by the tower. Um, and dark suit man holding a rifle, 35 to 40 yards up the fence line. He's. At, this is after the smoke. He gets to the steam pipe where he was meeting the railroad man before. Underhanded, tossed a rifle to him. Yep. The railroad worker breaks it down, puts it in a duffel bag, okay? And walked along the tracks away. Just walked away. Just walked away. Just walked away. away. And as dark suit man is up behind the knoll. Uh... Joe, Officer Joe Smith of the DPD came rushing up there,
3: and he he saw a very <laughs> Ed Hoffman corroborates something.
1: Joe Smith's story.
3: Joe Smith he saw it happen. Tell us this yeah. is amazing. Guys. So Smith
1: ran up there with a gun, and asked the guy, "You know what the hell are you doing back here?" The guy flashed a badge. Smith puts his gun away and walks away. And Joe Smith or Ed Hoffman tells us the same exact scenario.
3: Reached in his pocket,
1: pulled something out, yep. showed
3: the guy, the cop put the gun put his gun away.
1: Put his gun away and walked away. Now and Joe Smith said this was Secret Service credentials. Hence the story of a Secret Serviceman on you know, behind the knoll. Right. And uh that basically wraps up what they were talking about. And they have a book. We're going to link it up on the uh, WordPress site so you all can go check it out for yourself. Yeah.
3: They, and, you know, we're just sort of giving you an overview. We are going to interview these guys for the Dallas Action tomorrow.
1: So tune in. If you want to hear more about the Ed Hoffman story, you're and, going to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. And
3: get it told right. And they can explain it, like I say, it's in much more detail because they wrote the book. Yeah. Um,
1: but you guys need
3: to get this book. It's amazing.
1: Yes. And you can find the links on the WordPress site with this post. Um, So that's going to do it for us tonight. And it's been a long day. We're going to take our ass to bed. I heard that. And prepare for another big day tomorrow. Uh, We got a little something special uh, for our WordPress family. Our our November 22 network family. Get... uh, Miss Gail Nix-Jackson
3: Miss Francesca
1: Octar And Mr. Martin Rigby Dude! We wish you were here
3: is temporary pride is forever
0: fuck you Ralph you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store when you buy a DeWalt two tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver you get a DeWalt bear tool for free choose from a reciprocating or circular saw angle grinder or 20 volt battery and update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values and update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's, tool offer valid through 828, appliance offer valid through 911, US only.